Blog Talk Radio. Welcome once again to the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rulek Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. I'm your announcer, Clifford Lowe of clifflow.com in Scenic Keenick, New Jersey, and in just a moment, we'll be joined by our co-hosts, Catherine Ironwood of luckymojo.com in Forestville, California, and Conjureman of conjuremanconsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California. This week, we'll be joined by a special guest, Doc Murphy of thecivilskitchen.com in Twin Cities of Minnesota and Paganistan, bringing us today's topic of the Doctrine of Signatures. They will take your calls and offer advice to address, ameliorate, and remediate your questions and problems about love, money, career, and spiritual protection using traditional African-American folk magic practices of hoodoo, conjure, or root work as divined and prescribed by the greatest spiritual hoodooists of our time. You can learn a lot just by listening, but if you're selected from among those who signed up at the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and called into the show, then you'll be on the air with it and receive a free consultation. We'll be going to the phones in just a moment, but first let's catch up with our co-hosts, Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman. Ms. Cat. Hi, Clifford. How are things in your corner of the world? I know you've been very busy lately. Why don't you give us all a little catch-up on that? All right, I'm working on a secret project, so I can't talk to you too much about it, but it involves wrangling lots of <laughs> artists. And it finished up last night, and the artwork was submitted, and it was great. And I can't wait to show it to you, to you and, uh, and some other friends. Um, but right. and also be able to reveal in public what I've been working on. The secret project proceeds apace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep my mouth uh, shut on it, but um, I'm I'm hoping for the best. And um, and I was very pleased to be included among those who were able to kibitz a little bit at the beginning of the secret project. Good luck with that. Thank you very All much. All right. <laughs> well, out here in California. We just finished the third week of apprenticeship of our guest from Kuwait who came all the way from Kuwait to learn with me, and it was lovely. And now we actually are all missing her. She was a wonderful helper and friend as well as being a super bright apprentice who really got it and made lots of good stuff and learned a lot and asked all the best questions. And she's gone. And I got to take two days off. <laughs> I've been yeah. teaching her for three weeks solid. And and I got to just sort of lay there and go, wow, I have nowhere to go this morning. And so I just <laughs> um, took a long breakfast, and then I sort of meandered about and started working on my Patreon um, post for this week. So tomorrow... All of my patrons can look forward to a new web page, which I've already started. And I've been using my spare time also to hang out on Hoodoo Psychics. 
And I have some wonderful news. What do you think, Nagashiva? Should I announce it now? I mean, it's a done deal, it's, right? It's up to you. Well, I think I'm going to. I'm going to get everyone's heart beating really fast. So, um, one of the founding members of AIR, who left a few years ago to raise her two children to school age, is back in AIR. And we will be announcing the return of Miss Bree on Tuesday. Mm. Wow. Yay. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? Welcome back to Miss Bree. Yeah. Yeah. She was a founding member of AIR. She was um, a moderator at the forum. She she sent over 4,500 posts at the Lucky Mojo Forum. She um, was a founding member of Hoodoo Psychics in 2011, founding member of AIR in 2009. She has written dozens and dozens of pages at the AIR website, particularly the Catholic Saint pages, bios, and just a wonderful person, and I missed her so much. While she was gone, she wrote two books on um, on magic, and uh, one of them called Star Child, about raising your child uh, with astrological information. It's a really cool book, and the other is called Making Magic. So she is back in air, and I hope back in Hoodoo Psychics, and I hope back on the forum at least a little bit. And, of course, she still has the two children to take care of, but they're not, you know, standing at her knee every day. They go off to school now. Isn't that great news? What do you think, Conjuran? That's fantastic news. Oh. I know Miss Bree for, for ages. I think it's been uh, several years since I spoke to her, but I've known her from way back. Excited uh, to hear her back. She was uh, an old forum comrade, the two of us yeah. and. Yeah. It's just it's so uh, trippy I'm to have her back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I am excited. too. And she might even rejoin the tech team, which is like almost uh, whatever. Cool. It's like almost too much to ask, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, don't want to wear her out on her return. But if those of you don't know who I'm talking about, Miss Bree, check her out. She is so good, and this is going to be really great. And, of course, the announcement will go out, official announcement will go out on Tuesday. Just watch your social media feeds. It'll be on Facebook, it'll be on Instagram, and it'll be at the Lucky Mojo Forum that we have Miss Bree back amongst us. She was uh, really right. well known for her really cool, elaborate candle altars, uh, if I remember correctly. Some of the images of her candles were just gorgeous. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's very artistic, too. And and um, the mm-hmm. air site is graced with many, many pictures of her altars. Yes. Just beautiful, yeah. beautiful altar work. Thoughtful, well-displayed, well-photographed, too. Yeah, it's going to be lovely. So that's... Um, between that and, you know, the entire cryptocurrency meltdown, I don't know what else to, oh, yeah. to talk about. <laughs> so, um, how are things with you, Countryman? Uh Things are great. Uh, I mean, as great as they can be as we're living in the end times. Uh, it's, it's been a, a wild ride. I've been watching the crypto meltdown uh, with, with slight bemusement, but also like, uh, how did you all fall for this type of from my perspective I remember I think it was like ages ago people were talking about crypto's the future and crypto's this and crypto's that and there was a lot of astrology and, and uh, 
psychics and whatnot that really jumped on that bandwagon. And, and I'm being the very like slow moving tourist that I am. I went, yeah, I don't think of so. <laughs> I wonder if people are very like, I see mostly because I'm, a, I mean, in addition to being a tourist, I study history. And so like, you realize change comes actually very, very slowly. And people are like, oh, this is the end of fiat money, and we're going to move away, and it's going to be crypto. And I'm like, yeah, it's not going to happen. It's going to crash at some point. So I'm looking at this and kind of going, is this the end? And did I, have I been proven right yet again? <laughs> did people put their money in something? And then, but then you find out the details. I'm not just that it was like, it was a house of cards, like the level of scamming that went on. Also, oh, like yeah. how many people bought, like Bill Clinton was part of it. Tony Blair, like all these big celebrities and, and politicians and they were all like really uplifting this thing. Got bought into it. Like like I was I'm watching what is that, F F T X crap or whatever they're on right now, right? And the guy, yeah. like it turns out, like completely lied entirely about the the funds that he had and how he could But he's on stage with with Bill Clinton. <laughs> The the most reassuring thing that comes out of this is that the so-called elites of the world and our our thought leaders are just as dumb as the rest of us. So that's always it's always reassuring. I always I always feel a little better when I go. There's one of the great things about the 24 that has fully burst the myth that billionaires and politicians and celebrities are somehow genius. Most of them are dumb as fucking rocks, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> it's just the illusion has been burst, and I'm feeling very good a little bit about that. Because, you know, we, we, for something. years... I've just got to say something. Was I not the one who offended somebody on this very radio show by referring to <laughs> cryptocurrency as a Ponzi scheme? And was yes. I not schooled yes. and harshly talked yes. down to yes. and told yes. I didn't understand it at all? Look, I don't want I didn't want to cast dispersions, but I just want to say there is a little bit of uh we'll just say uh things did not turn out the way as predicted. Uh, no, no shade or whatnot, but you, you and I talked about this. You, I was far more. I was like, yeah, I don't think this is gonna happen. And you came in and you said, it's a Ponzi scheme. And I, I mute myself because I was chuckling because I was chuckling. Was like, yeah, that's a classic. That's a classic Ali cat. Right. No, even even up to the first two days of the collapse of FTX, people going, it's not really a Ponzi scheme. No, it's not really a Ponzi scheme. Of course it's not a Ponzi scheme. And then someone says, it's a Bernie Madoff scheme. And I'm like, what's a Bernie Madoff scheme? It's a Ponzi scheme. Are you people stupid? <laughs> yep. You're stupid, stupid, yeah. stupid. It's... And then they all of a sudden go, oh, well, maybe we ought to tell people what a Ponzi scheme is. Because, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. all of these younger journalists don't know. They really don't no, know. No, no. Well, I mean, this is and, why it's important to know what the Ponzi scheme was. What ha- and, like People kind of forget that bit of history. But a lot of that scamming stuff is just reinventing the same scam over and over again. Right? That's I mean, right. You saw it a little bit with the – you see it with, like, the, the uh, you know, a variety of different oh, – we'll sell you this and you're going to get rich. Like, I mean, we grew up in a whole generation of, like – what was that book? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Tony Robbins. Like, it was, oh, Tony Robbins. The whole, like, system of, of building these wealthy semi-Ponzi schemes, right? And they existed. Mm-hmm. And, and Bitcoin in many ways was, look, I have nothing but sympathy for the people who've lost money. I have no, nothing but sympathy for the true believers and whatnot. It's horrible. But I, my, my, um, 
amusement is at the billionaires and the elites and the celebrities and the whatnot because, you know, the myth of them being like brilliant thinkers has just been completely dispelled. Please, I'm begging you all to stop taking financial advice from it's not going to do you any good. Really? You get paid to say that shit. It's a, you know, it is what it is. Besides <laughs> that, I've been incredibly busy with clients. And, you know, let me tell you, there has been like a, a mixing of what's going on at the world level and what's going on at the people level, at the individual level. I've said it over and over again. I've got to look at the books of readers and what they're doing with their clients. All my clients are financially anxious. And that's not yes, because my they're team. financially bad. Yeah, they're not some of them are in like bad straits. Some of them have like the job figures. They're comfortable, but there's like an anxiety about their financial future. And so I've been doing a lot of long-term, like, so I just did digital reading three or four, three weeks ago. Um, and it took me like a solid, like, because we went through almost 20 years, year by year of this person's finances with the charts going, okay, this is the year where you're going to have a little bit of a downturn. This is the year where you... And it was a result of this person being very anxious about their future. Like, investments, I'm worried. Am I going to have enough money for my kid's college 20 years from And that's like it, that moment, past several weeks have all been clients that are really nervous their money. I have one reading slot open actually in December if anyone wants to talk about money or not money. But it has like, I, and I'm, I'm wondering if you are having that experience too. Everyone is financially anxious, whether they're in financially difficult positions or even if they're financially well off, they're worried about what their finances are going to look in a couple of years. You know, I think a lot of this too has been this um, uh, transiting square of Neptune, Jupiter, square Mars um, that's put a lot of people on edge. You know, it certainly, to me, is what signaled the downfall of FTX, right? Because it was like oh, yeah. this delusion of grandeur, and, um, you know, it burned to the ground. I mean, it's just pretty obvious to me. But um, yeah. but people are worried about it, obviously. Well, it's been quite a week, and uh, it's it not has. over yet. It's not over yet. It's really strange. And... Um, um, I would love to talk with people about crypto in in a different venue, but we're here to talk. Yes, about, uh, we we, uh, we need to catch up at some point. We need to catch. Yeah, up. we always catch up. Uh, if y'all <laughs> are new to this show, Ali and I just live for this moment when we can scream headlines <laughs> at one another. <laughs> <laughs> we do it every week. All right. Well. We have a topic this week, and our topic is the doctrine of signatures. Mm-hmm. And we're going to bring in Doc Murphy to talk about that. Um, I want to first give a real shout-out to Nagashiva, who made the placard for today's show, which was so pretty and so charming. Oh, wonderful. And um, it it shows um, a violet leaf and a valentine heart. And it's the doctrine of signatures in a nutshell. So if you haven't seen that, I don't know, uh, Nagashiva, if he put it on Blog Talk as one of the rotating images. I hope he did. If not, I hope he will, Um, because it really shows what the doctrine of signatures is. So Murphy. So Doc Murphy is a wonderful reader, root worker, and academic from the northern Midwest, and um, comes to us with uh, 
all kinds of knowledge, and this is her topic, the Doctrine of Signatures. So welcome to the show, Doc Murphy. Welcome, welcome. It's good to be here. It's good to be back. Hey, what's crypto? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) 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 Opening up a can of worms. Yeah, no, there's some of us have never paid much attention to that. It's a small dog that Superboy had. Yeah, so anyway, yeah, it's it's good the to be back. Crypto, and crypto. <laughs> um, I'm up here in Paganistan, which uh, well, it's it's Minnesota, the Twin Cities, um, which the pagans call Paganistan and what the heathens call Midvestyard. And winter has hit. It's hit early and it's hit hard. Um, it's dark already. It, we had snow all week mm-hmm. this week, and we actually had our first cold snap. Um, toward the end of last week. Usually those cold snaps where it drops down to single digits don't usually come until about January, and we got kind of surprised with one. So we had a very quick, very brief fallow period. We had a pretty nice fall, very brief fallow period, and now uh, we've got snow and wintertime a little bit earlier than usual. Not unheard of to have it early, but here we are. So um, it gives me thoughts of um, really how seasonal magical practices, which is also kind of... Uh, informing uh, doctrine of signatures contemplation for me is that you know depending on what's around in your world it's, it's what's going to flavor mm-hmm. uh, the magic that you do so but yeah I'm, yeah, I'm sitting know, inside warm and I'm not going outside until tomorrow <laughs> well you know this, this brings up we should have a whole topic we may have done it once in the past and Nagashiva would know I don't I'm not sure did we ever do a show on snow magic yeah, I kind we did. Of think Actually, we did. We, we, uh, we did, and we yeah. brought Miss Miranda in from Minnesota. And ah, we, we that's had a... right. We did. Okay, great. Yeah. Great. Well, it's yeah. time for another snow magic show. You know, <laughs> or at least that to, would be a lot of fun. Or at least to so. find, uh, point out the URL. Maybe Nakashiva can find the URL for the snow magic show and put that in sure. the chat so that people can uh, find that. Well, let's talk about the doctrine of signatures. As always, I'm going to start this off. The doctrine of signatures is that plants and crystals and animals explain who and what they are and what their spiritual connections are, what their medical use is, what their magical use is, by a signature that they leave. And this is usually their um, gross physical appearance. So um, the classic one, the one that I was taught as a child by my mother, is that the violet leaf looks like a heart, and therefore violets are used for love and for uh, memory and of the beloved, and that you can even take a violet leaf and you can put um, like a little um, piece of uh, straw through it, like an arrow, um, and it would be like a heart pierced by an arrow, like a little symbol, right? And you can press it in a book. And so the doctrine of signatures to me is always that one image sticks in my mind, the violet leaf and the heart. But there are many others. There are herbs that look like lungs and are used as a lung remedy. There are um, herbs that have... um, the shape of an arrow in the leaf, arrow leaf, and they're used for flinging thoughts or for um, being strong and courageous in times of battle. So um, 
there are many things that are signatures in plants. I'll give you one more out of my uh, favorites. There's a very fun little um, plant called lamb's ears, and it's soft like a lamb's ear, and people use it for making little soft beds to put little friendly little baby dolls on because it's just as soft as a little woolly blanket. So many things indicate their use by their shape, their smell, their form. So I'm going to turn this over to you, Doc Murphy. Take it away. Okay. Well, this is a nice, nice, delicious, nerdy, magical topic, which is like right up my alley. Um, well, the doctrine of signatures really has its roots in, in traditions, folk magic, folk medicine, all over the world. Um, the first person that's credited with actually like writing it down and actually teaching course on it was Paracelsus. Paracelsus was uh, a great kind of um, uh, ancestor to modern biology and chemistry and medicine and uh, also was an alchemist. Um, so a lot of times when people talk about oh, the doctrine of signatures, Paracelsus does get kind of uh, thrown around as, as sort of the first guy who wrote it down, but really he was running around all over the world getting information about um, um, how medicines worked in other folk cultures. So the doctrine of signatures, you really think about it, is a compendium of, of uh, world wisdom. And it, just as you said, it's true. It's, it's the... The, uh, the philosophy and the, and the um, doctrine that plants and other living things were created by God or created by this, the gods for a purpose. And in order to get human beings to understand what their purpose was, they have that look or they have that smell or they have that signature. Nature will tell you what it is that um, these plants, these crystals, these creatures – um, that surround you, why they're here, and how they're supposed to help you. You just have to pay attention. Um, the the heart-shaped leaf, uh, violet leaf, is a really classic example. Um, the other thing I also want to bring up, kind of, it kind of in tandem with the doctrine of signatures and how magic works, is that the language of magic is metaphor. There's a lot of the the herbs that we have found through empirical scientific research that hey, this, this uh, um, eyebright, which looks like an eye and has is, is been treated, uh, used to treat uh, um, eye maladies, actually does scientifically have properties that um, help people with eye problems. Um, some some uh, do that and some don't, but looking for their magical signature is what's particularly pertinent to us. You know, for example, if... Uh, um, you find uh, the classic example is that um, the picture that I frequently see a lot is that, that there's a, there's a slice, slice of a tomato. And it's often, so the inside of the tomato is often put next to uh, an anatomical heart. Well, whether or not tomatoes are actually good for your circulatory system is one signature, but being able to consume uh, 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 tomatoes when you're, when you're feeling uh, uh, heart sick, you know, what does it mean to be heart sick? If you think about it, that's a metaphor for being brokenhearted, for being sad, for being, um, you know, uh, depleted. And so often reading the doctrine of signatures not only is going to give you their 
the signature that's medicinal that's going to treat your physical maladies, but also knowing the signature metaphorically is going to help treat your spiritual maladies. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, an, an herb that treats eyesight maladies also can magically help you with psychic vision, for example. There's, there's a visionary quality. So being able to uh, stand in the two worlds of both kind of empirical data but also in magic and metaphor um, gives you, you see the world in an entirely different way with the doctrine of signatures at your disposal. So that's, that's, a, that's, that's a good one. Another, may I just jump in with another one? Um, periwinkle is um, a plant, a, a vining plant, and it has its uh, herbs are in pairs. And mm-hmm. although peri is not spelled P-A-I-R, but a pair of winkles. <laughs> and um, the the leaves are in perfect pairs um, right next to each other, opposite, opposite, opposite. And so that is used for faithful love for a husband and wife. And you pick mm-hmm. the two periwinkles and you chop them up and put them in salad. Mm-hmm. 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 The doctrine yes. of signatures is such a crucial way for understanding the rule of the natural world and magic. I think we often think that when people think magic, they think altars and ceremonies and circles and wands and all these sort of things. But a lot of ancient magic is rooted in understanding the natural world and how that natural world can be leveraged to bring about change. There's sort of three ways in which the natural world is engaged. One is inherited ancestral traditions, and that is somebody figured out that this plant poison at some point because they got sick eating it and on. This often is related to a lot of mythology. Why do we have, for example, recipes for oils in the Bible, right? That is an inherited ancestral tradition, right, in which the Bible passes on sacred messages, sacred lessons, also sacred recipes. So those can be scriptural, that can be oral, but it's passed down, and sometimes there's a mythic component to it. For example, blackberry is associated with St. Michael and the devil because uh, when the devil fell out of heaven, he fell into a blackberry bush and then urinated on it in anger. And so blackberries are associated with that. Uh, so if there's, a, there's a mythological, there's an inherited component. Then there is uh, what we call the makeup of plants is rooted in some type of medical theory, whether it's the elemental theory found in East Asia and China or the humoral theory found in uh, the Mediterranean. This plant is hot and wet. This plant is hot and dry. It has this effect on your constitution. And the third is the doctrine of signatures, that the form, the smell, and even the taste give a hint of what that thing does. This is all recorded, and probably the earliest record of this is found in in Pliny the Elder, who Paracelsus draws quite heavily on. So it is a tradition found predominantly in the southern Mediterranean, perhaps Italy, North Africa, etc., but is ubiquitous. It's found around the world. And takes an, an element of, one, understanding the logic of the doctrine of signatures, and then also sort of experimenting and building it experientially. It's not enough to read the books on herbs. You have to actually go out and handle them. Like, one of the, like when people want to learn who do, I always tell them, get the Green Bible, Miss Katz, who do urban group magic book, <laughs> and then go and find those herbs and order those herbs and then handle them. Look at a violet leaf. Oh, yeah. It's not enough for you to intellectually be like, violet leaf is cure heartache and to deal with love matters. You have to actually look at the leaf. Once you look at the leaf, you go, oh, okay. You have to touch it. Why do we use alum to shut people up? Put a little bit of alum on your tongue. Just 
just a little and see what it does, right? The, you've got to have to have that experience. You have to have that tactile. Right? Go out and see it, right? Why is calamus for, uh, for not just compelling but also used uh, in, in to heat things up for men in the same way that catnip for women, right? Oh, it's got a sort of phallic look to it. Why does John the Conqueror look, and why is it associated with virility? Well, because it looks like testicles. Like, hold it in your hand, right? Look at it. This is a very important component of learning the doctrine of signatures. Read the text, read the logic behind it, and then go and actually experience it. Hold the thing in your hand. Look at it. Smell it, taste it, if it's edible, taste it a little bit. And then it'll start to click. And what that helps you to do is it builds and internalizes that logic so that you can start applying it to things even if it's not in your book. If there's an herb you encounter and it's not in your book, you now know how the doctrine of signature works and you can apply that logic to um, whatever that, that item is. So it is, I always tell people, read the text, read the books, and then handle smell it, touch it, taste it. That's how you will internalize the doctrine of signatures. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to throw another one out here. Eating walnuts for a yep, better memory yep. and strong thoughts because they look like little brains. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, yes. the funny thing is, in Persian, uh, walnut is called charmaz. <laughs> That's literally what the name means, is four brains, because when you crack it open, it looks like Two parts cut in quarters, four brains. So, literally, brain <laughs> matters. <laughs> and it's That's always good. interesting too to um, uh, when you discuss the doctrine of signatures of someone who has uh, magical training, for example, in a different correspondent theory. Like I learned in Hoodoo, for example, that chamomile is a money drawing and a, and a, a lucky gambling herb because the flowers look like little golden coins, right? Okay, they look mm-hmm. like money. So you want to make a wash and wash your hands and then go to Vegas and, and rake in the winnings, right? Or, or go to work and, and rake in the money. Um, and to, to speak with some of my uh, magical um, compadres here who, for example, don't have a background in, in hoodoo and the doctrine of signatures, but maybe in Western correspondence theory, um, they may know of the medicinal um, properties of chamomile. And anyone who's had chamomile tea knows that it's, it's, it's relaxing, it's calming, it's soothing, and so they may use it for that magical purpose because it sort of overlaps with that. Um, um, medicinal and scientific usage, but then I said, yeah, but you can also, because they look like little gold coins, you can make a wash out of them and wash your hands with them, and then you can gamble and you can make money, mm-hmm. and it's going to help draw money, and, and like their eyes just open up, and then they look at the chamomile a different way, right? Mm-hmm. There's something yeah, about yeah. The, the shifting of your vision back and forth between, okay, I, I, I'm seeing this herb or this crystal or this plant or this natural phenomenon one way. Now that we've learned about the doctrine of signatures, now you can kind of click and look at it another way. Um, right, I'm with you there, right. uh, Conjure Man, that you know, people have to get out into the world and actually see how the plants and the animals and, and the stones behave, for lack of a better word, how they are in their element. Um, I'm quite convinced on, uh, that when people say they don't, they struggle with how magic works, so they try to put a spell together and don't quite figure out why it makes sense, is that a lot of people just aren't paying attention to the world around them. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they're they're not going to the river to watch the herbs. They're not watching animals. They're not watching the birds fly. They're they're not holding rocks and crystals in their hands and and um, feeling their properties. And it's it's one thing to be theoretically 
um, smart about why magic works, but then ultimately you've got to get out into the world and you have to pay attention to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's why substitutions, I think, when in uh, ingredients sometimes get a little murky is that people don't know why. Well, if you would see, <laughs> see the herb or the, the natural phenomenon in action, then you would understand why, for example. Um, right, right. You hot, you hot put somebody with chili peppers and that sort of thing. Right, right. And I think, I think this is where I think the culinary aspect plays a big role. So knowing that herbs can be used, herbs, roots, etc., can be used in multiple ways, using multiple forms, is entirely important. So, for example, recognizing the plant, whether you're using the medicinal approach, the humoral approach, even astrological approach, in contrast to, say, the uh, um, uh, doctrine of signatures, that one herb can have multiple effects because it is complex and layered, right? But you find that even with the doctrine of signatures, where the violet leaves can both cure your heart, that is, cure the pain of the heart, but is also used in love drawing work to draw new love into your life. It's used in both in that fashion. And here I think people who do, who are able to understand and grasp this really well are people who are experts in the kitchen. People who have a culinary yes. background recognize, I think, much better than anybody else that there are multiple uses for one thing. And that those multiple uses depend on what you're doing, that they're contextual. They're, do you want to bring out the spiciness that's on the tip of your tongue or do you want the spiciness that comes out at the back of your tongue? But also people who have a culinary sense and who cook also recognize uh, the aesthetics of it, how it looks, right? It's not just how it tastes, but also how it looks. There's a reason why peaches are aphrodisiacs, right? They peaches, <laughs> strawberries, they look a certain way. And if you are, uh, have any sort of culinary awareness, if you have any sort of awareness, you know how you can cook erotically and romantically, and you can see how those images show up. Why do we use chocolate-covered strawberries, right? Does anyone ever cook? cut a strawberry in half? Not, not half, look, like, like halfway, sliver it, and look at it. It's very, it's very erotic. Same thing with a peach. Look at it. It's erotic. Why are eggplants? Why do, they, why do we use the eggplant emoji? Doctor? of signatures, right? <laughs> I think the, cul- the culinary plays a big role. If you, if you want to really understand down-home root magic, start cooking, too. Start cooking with these things. Mm-hmm. Notice the tastes that come out. Notice what they do to your tongue. And more, as equally important, notice how they look on your plate. That is really, really crucial. Yes. That's a really, really good point. Is that if you, it cook, when you're doing magical cooking, you're not just using herbs, but you're using also yep. vegetables and and other things, um, and um, yep. also even, I mean, if you think about it for a moment, I think I've mentioned before on this show that I once went to lunch with this horrific man who was a, a father of a friend of mine, and he ran a print shop, and I worked for the print shop briefly in order to pay off um, a a, a typesetting machine that I wanted. It was his old one, and I worked for him. And this guy was gross. And uh, we'd go out to lunch, and he'd always spot us for lunch, which was nice. And then when we get there to this place, he'd always grab the waitresses by the ass as they walked by, and he goes, I want two really big thighs, honey. Uh, or oh, he'd grab them by the front and he'd say, I want a big breast with gravy dripping on it. 
and he was just—I mean, the guy should have been in jail. But anyway, yeah. um, but I never thought about eating chicken the same afterwards because <laughs> oh, God. you know, if you serve someone chopped up chicken, well, that's just chopped up meat. But if you give right. them those those uh, breasts covered with gravy, you might get them thinking about what you're offering. I know it sounds a little gross, but there it is. There's not a whole so range. No, food, food plays a very important role in all this, not just in, in, in the way of cooking, but once you understand that culinary component, you're understanding the logic of how spells work in many ways, because the doctrine of signature is built off of the idea of sympathetic magic itself. The very concept of sympathetic magic is that like affects like. But if you do something to a doll that is the likeness of somebody else, it will happen to that person. Well, what happens if you work on an eggplant, right? What happens if the mm-hmm. eggplant is with your magic on? What happens if you work on uh, something like violet leaf? Oh, it's shaped like a heart. So the very concept of the doctrine of signature is built on sympathetic magic, and in turn, sympathetic magic relies heavily on and you recognize that mm-hmm. at the culinary level, you recognize that at the visual level, you recognize that at the taste level, the tactile level. Then you start to build your rituals. Then you start to build your magic. If you're working on a love matter, right, you're working on a love matter, you want to heal somebody's heart, you can work on the likeness of their heart while including violet leaves, which is shaped like a heart. You're now building upon the like, and that's where real power is generated from. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, there's a there's another thing here that got mentioned, chocolate-covered figs, because figs represent the yes. female, um, yes. Yes. and chocolate is just ever so good, and if that chocolate is <laughs> scented with a little vanilla, that even makes it better, because vanilla is an orchid, and it comes from this phallic bean, and um, so there you go, there's your chocolate-covered figs, very nice. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and figs predate in many ways. The, the, it's considered the original uh, uh, imagery of, of, of a woman's vulva. The original is the fig. Like the oldest references we have are, are basically figs. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, I'm getting hungry. Anyway, <laughs> um, when you were talking about uh, animal parts, too, I, I, I'm bringing this up uh, also because Doctorative signatures also applies. There's a, there's a lot of, I know in, in uh, my community, in the pagan community, there is a lot of um, adopting the wearing of things like um, animal teeth or bones mm-hmm. or feathers or parts because um, initially at first it was just sort of a, an amorphous concept of, well, I like the energy of this animal. But when you understand the doctrine of signatures and, and what the behavior of that creature um, teaches you then for example when you do encounter like i was walking through our uh, our, our pagan church land a uh, fire haven in um wisconsin and it just happened to be after deer season and we came across a um a deer skeleton kind of the nature had picked everything away and so we picked up a lot of the bones well to a lot of uh, wiccan pagans the stag god um the, the 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 symbol of the stag of the deer of the heart is very meaningful so um they were just very carefully kind of taking parts of the bones the jaw the teeth um mm-hmm. of this uh, stag skeleton that we found and um they keep them as sacred objects as as objects of 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 power because of that doctrine of signatures of what it is that the stag as uh, um a, a spirit 
teaches us. Um, you might find this interesting, but there is an, uh, a growing trend, uh, especially up north here in the pagan community, of folks learning taxidermy. Um, there are a lot of folks that are learn, relearning that art form again and creating things because people do recognize, um, you know, it, without relying on that phrase, the you know, spirit animal, but realizing mm-hmm. that the, the, the signature of an animal imbues great lessons and great power, and they want an ethical place to be able to, you know, find things like teeth and bones and, and pelts and that sort of thing. So there are a lot of folks that are uh, in our community that are in that line of work now that recognize cool. the power and the magic of, of um, animal signatures and the doctrine of signatures as well. That's cool. I used to do taxidermy. I liked it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I I just mentioned eating the tongue of your enemy in the form of a lengua taco. Um, wow. A, a taco is often um, a slang around these parts for a lady's pussy. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if it is where you are up there in the land of the pagans, but it is down here in California. And so if you had a um, you know, female enemy, and you just, you know, whatever. I mean, just, you know, chopped up lingua. Just chop her freaking lingua up and put it in a taco mm-hmm. and eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Nagashiba says, cunnilingus. There you go. <laughs> that, that's a good way to do it. Look at it, too. Um, the shut-up taco. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Put some hot sauce in it and, and you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, these, these things are, I'm, I mean, it's not just... Um, food, but I, it does seem to lend itself to the use in food. I mentioned in the chat asparagus as a male emblem. Yeah. Nagashiva mentioned pomegranates as a female emblem where they have been used that way all the time, of course. And um tree that has a, a meaning because of its overall form. You don't need the entire plant. For instance, a palm um, and particularly the Canary Island date palm has a mm-hmm. um, a, a phallic uh, mop top look to it. It's sort of like it grows up and then it sort of fountains and spews outward. You know, it's really pretty. And uh, but you don't need the whole palm tree. You can just use a a leaf of the palm to represent that, and that's a nice way to work using mm-hmm. portions of the plant. Um, we mentioned before the the walnut for brains, but you can also use walnut leaves um, to uh, encourage your children to become good students. Also, peach mm-hmm. leaves are used that way. And peaches mm-hmm. also have a kernel that has a brain-like appearance to it, more like a dog's brain than a human's brain, but it's brainy. And so mm-hmm. peach leaves are used to make your children be good students, and they probably could be used to make your dogs be good trainees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. I'm glad the pomegranate was brought up because um, that that's a, a, a really great example of a plant of a fruit that has like layering magical metaphors. You know, um, the reference to it being. Um, you know, uh, feminine physiology. Quite literally, it's, you know, you, you cut the pomegranate open and the seeds are within it. It bleeds, you know, it's red juice, but it bleeds when you cut it open. There's so many references to um, the regenerative, procreative power of, of um, female biology. But also in Armenia, um, the pomegranate repels the evil eye. So there's a lot of jewelry and a lot of amulets and a lot of that sort of thing in that part of the world that are made in the shape and style of 
of uh, pomegranates, red, red jewelry and crystals and all, that wearing a pomegranate on your, a jewelry on your um, being or having, you know, they will keep the evil eye away from you. And I know there's this, um, mm-hmm. from the evil eye book that you wrote with uh, Dr. Weiss, that there definitely is this crisscrossing of metaphors that um, the, 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 uh, of uh, of that sort of power repelling evil and kind of how they overlap. I mean, really, when you get right down to it, if you really dive into the doctrine of signatures and see how these these magical metaphors can layer on top, you have a world of magic, uh, magical uh, endless tools, <laughs> magical toolbox in the world in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also sometimes when people struggle with trying to understand how magic works or how to put it together, I think less and less people understand metaphor. I think maybe they might be taking things too literally when they're looking at the, the characteristics of, of the natural world that's around them. Um, you have to be clever and poetic with language, and you have to be clever and creative with visuals in order to also see what's um, what's possible magically with with plants and with crystals and animals. You do have the the uh, empirical and the medicinal and the scientific um, qualities, but you also, with the doctrine of signatures, have you know you look at these things poetically and artistically and visually and with the legend that surrounds them, and you have stacks and stacks and stacks of magical meaning that come with um, something like a pomegranate, which has layers and layers and, and cultures around the world that have imbued meanings on it. I have to say one thing about pomegranates. Um, where the pomegranates grow, and I happen to live in one of those blessed places, you don't cut a pomegranate open and make it bleed. That's not nice. You the pomegranate on the tree no 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 you just don't the pomegranate on the tree will burst um, the skin itself when it's ripe they never sell them that way in the stores they always sell them unripe because they want to keep them whole but they if you have your own you go out and they just crack open do you know what I'm talking about Conjurman have you seen what I'm talking yes. about yes yep that's they, how you're supposed they, to you're supposed to wait for them yeah. You wait until they crack open, and then you can peel all the skin off, and all the seeds are completely whole, and you get no blood on you. It's just a perfect yes. bowl of perfect pomegranate seeds. Yeah, yeah. But um, and if you're, you impa- been, if you're it, and if you're impatient, there there is a way to peel it carefully. Yes. But you want to wait. The key is you want to wait. You know, uh, the people kind of cut into pomegranates. I've seen it a few times on like YouTube videos of like how to how to get your seeds. And I'm like, no, that's not how you do it. You wait. No, I know. But there are, yeah, there's a pattern of cutting them, too, that um, you yes, cut only the rind. Peeling. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, peeling. Them. Yeah, peeling them. But we should know also that it's not just the seed, but the pomegranate rind itself are often used in magical work, particularly in incense. If you dry the pomegranate rind, if you dry the, the, the peel, uh, it's usually ground up and used in various magical workings. So this is an example of, of something where you can use multiple parts of it. And that also matters is that when you do root work, uh, sometimes it's just the leaf you're working with, and sometimes it's the root of the tree you're working with. And the difference between the two matters, right? The leaf and the root do different things. Um, and so being aware of that and being aware of when to use which part of the plant, again, goes back to knowing the doctrine of signatures. What does the roots look like? What does the leaf look like? What type of tree is it? That gives you idea of how, for example, one tree, can I give you a leaf that does one thing, roots that do another thing? 
but also is an important aspect of, of uh, holistic magic, in which you're really working with nature in a complete fashion. You're recognizing that, for example, bark does something, leaf does another thing, root does another, and being aware of that will help you really full out and flesh out the type of magic that you can do, the type of workings that you can do. Again, this goes really back to you've, you've got to see these things. I'm going to them, throw in another them, one going back to, to going back to animals for a second, actually to birds. A parrot feather uh, can be used in magic to make somebody talk. And um, it's because <laughs> parrots talk. And um, mm-hmm. that's a real old trick. And um, you can use that if you need someone to bear witness and they're reluctant, um, or you can use it to make someone um, tell the truth when they've been trying to hide it. They'll tell somebody, Mm -hmm. parrot feathers. And they can be from any species of parrot. But I was taught to use the more colorful parrots like Amazons and, you know, macaws and things like that. But a parakeet would work if you had to. They they talk, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I'd also like to kind of um, uh, keep the theme going. Uh, like, pomegranates will never ripen naturally in Minnesota. They just won't. We buy them at the no. store. <laughs> we have no, you buy them at the store, of course. But that that leans into my point is that, you know, uh, Doctrine of Signatures and, and the magic that um, comes from that really forces you to be aware of where it is that you live and the seasonality of where you live and what is effective and available. Well, now, you guys live in California, which is a very Mediterranean, more temperate climate. I live up here in Minnesota where, you know, the, the, the uh, four seasons are, you know, wildly different from each other. I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's no better place to be a pagan than Minnesota because we have the theater of the seasons up here and they're quite dramatic. But that means that there are things at your disposal in the spring and the summer that will not be at your disposal naturally in the fall and in the winter. Um, and, but there is other magic to be had at different seasons of the year. Um, I'm, I'm quite convinced that's why a lot of pagans get more interested in learning hoodoo and the doctrine of signatures is because this really forces you to sit and be present, um, really present in, in the natural world where you are and to really cultivate a relationship with it. Um, we do a lot of ice and snow and wintertime magic up here because we have that. You're not doing it so much in California because that's, that's not your climate. Um, but we, we have an entire vocabulary of magic because that's a natural phenomenon at our disposal. Um, and, and again, yeah, you can purchase the dried um, herbs from suppliers when you need them specifically for a job. But if you're engaged in the world around you, you'll notice that, that magic is also seasonal and the power of the different mm-hmm. of the the different seasons and what's available also can inform your work as well in much the same way that you know culinary choices do um what's seasonally right. appropriate um uh magically uh gives a lot of power too so uh, i like to bring right. that up it's, it's again it's about being in your present in your environment and present in your world in order right. to make right. magical sense I have another one I want to throw out, which is seeds and berries. All forms of seeds and berries are used for multiplication and fertility, and we did an entire show on that with John St. Germain. And if we're lucky, Nagashiva will find that show and post the link. But seeds and berries of every kind will multiply and and express um, growth of of your domain. Yeah, yeah. We should also note that the doctrine of signature extends beyond, for example, roots and herbs to include minerals and things 
are uh, uh, understood symbolically. So, for example, minerals. Why do we use lodestones? Because lodestones are magnetic, right? Have a mm-hmm. particular component to them. So there's a there's a explanation for it. So lightning struck wood is another. Or lightning struck tree. It's not always mm-hmm. the way that the tree looks or the form, but it's the event of lightning striking a tree that lends it its symbolic component. It's the same reason people use gunpowder. If you read Hayek's book, you'll find that there's recipes in reference to things like gunpowder. Why do you use gunpowder? Because gunpowder is explosive, right? And so you have the doctrine of signatures extend beyond just a form of roots and herbs and plants, but also build a whole symbolic logic, uh, which is something that, that Doc Murphy is, is emphasizing here, is that there's a symbolic component here, a poetic, a metaphoric component. Why do we use a lightning-struck tree? Because it's been struck by lightning. There's a symbolism <laughs> there, right? It's the destruction of the tree, the symbolism of the lightning. Why do we use gunpowder? Because when you touch a flame to it, it explodes, it flashes. So the symbolic component is important, and so that it allows the doctrine of signatures to expand and include a variety of different other materials. Right. Also, I want to give a shout-out to long quartz crystal points as phallic mm-hmm. objects, and especially when they are growing erect out of a bed of smaller little crystals. And there's that one big guy up there at an angle. They look pretty uh, pretty much phallic. They're nice. And um, there are um, also other uh, colors ascribed to uh, crystals, for instance, rose quartz is seen as female. It has that sort of pinkish hue. Um, and there are other, um, there's one called spirit quartz. And um, if you've ever seen it, you know what I'm talking about. It comes in amethyst. I mean, amethyst is a kind of quartz. And it sometimes comes in a sort of a citrine form. But it's completely covered with thousands of tiny little crystals and um, it'll grow larger crystals at the point and it really does look like a penis with the head of a penis on it if you get a nice example Um, and they're called spirit quartz I've had a quartz point for several years that actually has been cut in the shape of a phallus that uh, is really pretty remarkable I get a lot of magical use out of it And um and Nagashiva points out that half geodes, um, especially when they're druzy crystal, he calls them little crystal caves. And um hmm. and yeah, uh, druzy geodes are very nice. Um uh, that's uh druzy if you don't know the word and some people do not, so I might as well explain it. Means completely covered with tiny, tiny, tiny little crystals, about the size of sugar crystals, but they're actual stone crystals. And um, so, when a geode is druzy inside, it's sparkly, sparkly. It's really pretty. Mm-hmm. Cowrie shells come to mind too, as as uh, mineral phenomena that are feminine um, references. So, because of how they look. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course, cowrie shells have a whole world of symbolism encoded yeah, in them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. We should point out that both cowrie shells and salt were historically considered precious. They were actually a form of currency. And so they both mm-hmm. have a sort of interesting precious component to them. Uh, and they uh, are used, in, for example, in Afro-Cuban magic and Afro-Caribbean magic. Cowrie shells are almost all-purpose, in addition to their 
vulva look, in addition to their, their looking like genitalia, they're almost used in everything from divination to prosperity work, wealth work, love work. And salt has a very similar component. It's protective, it's destructive, it's, it's everything. And whatever you tell it to do, it does. And that's because historically both were used as currency and a sort of all-purpose precious commodity. So we got a question in the chat from Cliff Lowe, our announcer. I have a lot of cowrie shells. Suggestions for use? <laughs> Whoa! And I, said, uh, and I said, Cliff... How many is a I lot, should, Clifford? <laughs> I, 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 wrote, I, I wrote here my reply. I should not say anything on air. People will freak. Um, yeah, Cliff, you know, like, use your imagination. How about that? We'll just leave it at that. For gosh sake, Cliff... <laughs> sex magic. <laughs> no, but they really can be used for anything. Sex magic, you want to yeah. destroy someone, you can use a cowrie shell. You want to make someone love you or hot for you, cowrie shell. really works wonders in that regard. And, and if these are not cut cowries, if these are the whole cowries, yeah, you yeah. can take a little thin slip of paper, you know, not quite as wide as the cowrie shell's opening, and um, and then um, push it up inside, and it'll curl up inside when it stops you can just um, make a mark with your thumbnail. You know how much that is. Pull it out, and now you know how much room you have to write that person's name. Then you can um, put your sexual fluids on that piece of paper, that person's name, let it dry a little bit, and just mm-hmm. shoop, shoop right back up inside the cowrie, and there you go. Okay, there. I did say yeah, it on air, you. but I said it okay. politely. And Clifford, if you – I'm sorry, go ahead. There's a, you can get those large cowrie shells from, from East Africa in particular that are gorgeous. They also have like purple coloring and use it to gift. If you fix it and you uh, anoint it with sexual fluids and oils and it's prayed over and consecrated, that can then be given as a gift to a potential lover who then keeps it in their house and it works on them. Um, and they're gorgeous. I've seen them. You can kind of display them in people in, in the house. Uh, they even have like a purple brownish tint and they're really stunning. And if you know a talented wire wrapper, Clifford, um, those would make really great amulets, um, necklaces, earrings, uh, gifts to people that you want to um, protect, draw money, or seduce. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In the Afro-Cuban, Afro-Caribbean, Afro-Brazilian tradition, almost all of our bougios and and, uh, necklaces and whatnot have cowrie shells of some sort. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, snail shells, garden snail shells are used the same way to represent the female. And um, and snail shells can be used both to slow down someone's sexual activity um, or to make them stay and cling faithfully. There's a number of spells that use snail shells to represent the genitals. Okay, wow. Well, that was a lot. Boy, we just unloaded a ton of wisdom on y'all. Now you have to go back and listen mm-hmm. to the show and take notes. We do have the <laughs> chat log. It's got most of it in it, and um, the chat log will be posted after the show. So let's turn this over to Clifford, who now knows what to do with all of his calories. <laughs> that was a can of worms or something. Um, oh, well. for this program is, is provided by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and located online at luckymojo.com, and by the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers, AIR, a directory of ethical and authentic conjure practitioners located online at readersandrootworkers.org, and by Hoodoo Psychics 
psychic line run entirely by hoodoo practitioners. Receive a reading with a trusted root worker instantly. Call 1-888-4-HOODOO or visit hoodoopsychics.com. And by the Crystal Silence League, a free online prayer service of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches located online at crystalsilenceleague.org. Now it's time to go to the phones and talk to today's client. Our caller is Eva Seil, calling from area code 317. Eva, are you there? Yes. Excellent. All right. You say, as I scroll back, my husband is depressed and a hoarder from ADHD, and our home is a wreck. It's affecting our marriage. What should I do? Turning it over to you, Miss Cat. Oh, my gosh. Well, um, Eva, I'm going to ask a couple of questions before we do the reading. Number one, what is your sign of the zodiac? I'm a Libra with a moon in Virgo and an Aquarius ascendant. Oh, dear. You're not going to like that hoarding at all. Nope. <laughs> but you're going to try to be fair. So you're a Libra, so you're going to accommodate. Virgo, you'd really like it to be neat. And Aquarius, you'd like it to be not only neat, but in Dewey Decimal System order, right? And uh, what about your husband? He is a Taurus with a moon in Pisces and a Capricorn ascendant. Yeah. Mm. So he likes pretty stuff, and he's accumulating pretty stuff all over the place. Moon in Pisces, he's just sort of dreamy, wandering about, and, you know, imaginative. And then the Capricorn, that's the one place where you can maybe get in touch with him through your Virgo. Um is to say, you know, guy, we got to have a plan, right? Make a plan. All right, so that's my my astrological advice. Um, I'm going to actually uh, turn this over to Conjurman for the reading, okay? Yeah, I'm happy to do the readings. I think you've got a really uh, solid astrological advice. Let me just, because uh, my uh, blog talk cut out just briefly. As I understand it, uh, the issue here is that uh, your partner is a bit of a hoarder, and that's causing strife is that correct she can't stand it i think it's yeah and also she said he had adhd and also i did not ask the question and i should have has he received any kind of um medical mental health diagnosis he went to the doctor but they would not give him medication for it because they said he was too old oh he's too what Uh, too old old. yes they Hmm. don't want to put that it's it's odd. I'm sorry. It's odd. Yeah, that's right. very that's weird. That is absolutely weird. I would I would highly highly recommend uh, second opinion of some sort. That I, there is age when it comes to the medication, but not like a message. Oh, he's too old. We're not going to do anything about it. But there's also yeah. other ways uh, of addressing this. Uh, Ms. Cat really rightly pointed out uh, a lot of the astrological components here. A Tauruses in general can hoard. Uh, it's just something that Tauruses do. It's it's not always overt. Like you don't walk into a this house like, oh, fuck, this person is a hoarder. But they generally have something that they collect. A lot of tourists collect things, or they have a lot of, they have one thing that they have a lot of. That's that's not uncommon. Um, but that the the fact that there's a Capricorn there is good. It's the mutability that's a bit of a pain in the ass there. If I think the moon in Pisces is what he was, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the moon in Pisces is going to make it a, pain, a, a bit difficult there. Um, so I've pulled three cards here to see what we can do. The first card 
is the Nine of Cups. And the Nine of Cups shows us an individual who's got all his cups in a row, and he's very satisfied with everything that he has collected. So it very much uh-huh. speaks to your, your situation. The person whose arms are crossed. They don't quite see exactly the problem. They're actually quite happy. There may be some component of pride even about some of the items that have been collected and that these are also linked to perhaps uh, an emotional sense of satisfaction. So there's an emotional component to this. It's not just physical material collecting and hoarding. There is a component of it being tied to a sense of accomplishment, a sense of worth, a sense of value, even a sense of like, I need these things or I want these things. I've got to have these things. So be mindful that the emotions play a big role. In fact, all three of the cards that I have here are actually cup cards. So this probably reinforces yet again that Piscean uh, influence in your in your partner, what um, being a, a water sign, very strongly seeing the component of water uh, play out in the cup cards, but also the Piscean uh, uh, desire for shiny things and the Taurian desire for shiny things. So the, the nine of, of cups shows us a person who is satisfied. But that state of being is one that will actually have a deep, severe emotional strain. But this isn't just a matter of not being able to stand it. It may become, it may reach a point where it starts to actively harm the relationship. And that's the five of cups, which is the next card over. Mm. And the five of cups is a person who's looking down at three spilled cups. Uh, while two remain standing behind them, they're cloaked in a cloak of mourning, uh, and they are in a place of what we call ruination. This is a person who has lost everything and who is unable to see the value around them because they look upon what has been built. This means uh, it is absolutely necessary for both of you to have some form of perspective getting. There needs to be a perspective getting that happens. On one hand, he needs to recognize that some of his habits are harming his relationship. They may lead to a place where it leads to ruination, where there's an inability to see beyond what has been spilled. The idea of, oh, I need to give something up. He's unable to see that if he gives that thing up, uh, if only he turns around, he sees two perfectly good cups. At the same time, we want to also note that perspective is important so that it never reaches the point where you say, that's it, I'm over this relationship, and you give up something that's entirely valuable and meaningful to you because of an inability to see a proper value. The five of cups really speaks to a fixation, a fixation that uh, that really is built over time. It's a sort of grungy cloak that builds and builds and builds and builds, and you're unable to turn around and see anything around, unable to see options. So it is a, a bit of a warning card. It's a card that says, hold up. Don't let yourself fall into despair. Don't let yourself fall into a place that is unhealthy both of you. And similarly for him, there needs to be recognition that the behaviors are leading to a place that are perhaps unhealthy. The final cup, the final card is the Knight of Cups, which shows us an individual carrying one cup forward and moving out of the desert into the oasis. It's actually interesting that when you put these two cards next to each other, the five of cups and the Knight of Cups, it almost looks like the Knight has picked up one of the cups that uh, is standing and is now moving out of that desolate desert of the Five of Cups and moving into an oasis. You can actually see a picture emerge from these two images. And it says to be steadfast, to be patient, to be uh, 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 discerning, to be kind, to be caring, to be unwavering in your commitment, your emotional commitment, and that there will be a solution that is presented to you. 
some form of intervention is required here. The knights always are interventions. They're outside helpers, someone that comes in that can help move this situation forward, whether it's a spiritual worker, whether it's a therapist, something along those lines. Open lines of communication between you all are is very crucial, something that will help to accommodate. There's going to be some form of compromise that happens in which some items that have been hoarded or collected or whatnot may be given up, and in turn, you will compromise by accepting some level of accumulation, meaning some of the items that are really, really valuable, you might accept, like, okay, this is clearly important. Maybe we'll keep the trophies or something like that, uh, but we'll get rid of we'll get rid of the soccer jerseys that he's kept for 20 years or whatever it is. So there's going to be a little bit of a, a compromise or a balance that happens here because the Knight of Cups isn't carrying both cups. He's only carrying one of those goblets. So something will be kept while something else will be recognized as needing to be called. This is going to require some spiritual work to open this person up, some type of cleansing work, some type of purifying work, skull candle work along those lines. Miss Cat will know what I'm talking about. To help open the mind towards healing and communication and a third-party person who can help navigate some of this compromise, who can help navigate some of this discussion between the two of you. So a therapist, spiritual counselor, priest, whatever it is that will stay Step in and help to advise and move this situation forward. But do not despair. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Remain steadfast, and this situation can be resolved with a bit of spiritual work. I'm going to turn this over to Doc Murphy, and then Ms. Cat will give you some root work advice. Thank you. Okay. Hi. Um, I wanted to ask actually a question because you mentioned your husband has been struggling with the hoarding and ADHD, but you also mentioned depression. Um, that seems to be what's coming up to address in, in the reading that I have. Again, it's a very cups kind of reading here, very, very deep emotional stuff. Can I ask, has, has your uh, husband's struggles been sort of throughout your relationship or did these just start to manifest like fairly recently? It has been a struggle throughout the relationship, but it has been building and building, and now okay. it's not tenable. Okay. I have a, a quick little four-card spread that I do, past, present, obstacle to the present and future. Um, the card that is sitting in the past right now is the Ace of Cups, and this is this is the, the card of, um, you know, emotional perfection. It's the Holy Grail. This seems to be a, referencing a time when, you know, you, your relationship was full and it was fulfilling. Um, emotionally, you were, you were there for each other. Um, your, your cup runneth over. It seemed like there was this, this period where, okay, maybe he's got a lot of stuff around the house or maybe he's, he's depressed once in a while, but, you know, this is something we can, we can do together. Um, and that's in the past. The card that's sitting in the present is the Ace of Swords. Um, and the Ace of Swords is the, is the card that kind of is the, the um, um, kind of the, the card that cuts through the bullshit, really. I think there seems to be a realization that, like, okay, this may have been a pattern that we have seen in our relationship before. It was livable before, but it's no longer emotionally satisfying. And there, there, is, some, there is some incisiveness that needs to be um, dealt with, and there is a, a, a pretty sharp, cutting that needs to take place here. I'm also wondering if this has to do with a doctor that you visited. Somebody's saying something like, oh, you know, medication won't help. I'm wondering if there maybe is some other sort of alternative, um, more incisive therapy that might be available for him. The card that is the obstacle to the present is the Four of Pentacles. It's the miser. He's a hoarder. He's sitting on his coins. He's sitting on his stuff. 
um, just not letting things go, that almost doesn't need explication. Um, but deep down with regard to hoarding disorders like this, I helped a friend clean out a, a hoarding house recently, um, and what's at the bottom of it is rarely something that is that is sensible and logical. There is a mental illness that is um, causing this kind of compulsion to collect and is deeply emotional. It's not something that you can intellectualize or say, let's be rational about this. He, he will need to sit with a therapist or somebody to find out what all that stuff he's hoarding means. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of on, on a team conjure man here. The, the card that's in the future is the Ten of Cups. This is a happy family that is um, emotionally satisfied, resolve its issues. This is the, the rainbow of ten cups above um, the couple and the dancing children. There is some sort of compromise, again, that will be made. There, there, there will be an appreciation and, and a living with the, the, the shiny stuff that really matters, the stuff that is truly emotionally fulfilling for everybody. And I'm not seeing a house full of stuff. I'm seeing a full yard of people that are, that are kind of free of encumbrances. So I, this, this eventually will be something that will be resolved, and I think will be resolved for the benefit of both of you. But there definitely needs to be um, an addressing of, um, you know, on the kind of deep emotional and kind of depression level that he's dealing with, why, why the compulsion to hang on to things is there. And again, this is something that he needs to probably see a therapist for uh, to get to the bottom of, of what this all means. Um, but there's hope at the end that I definitely see. So that's what I have. I, I hope that helps. Thank All you. right. I I noticed something when you talked about the Ten of Cups, and I believe the gentleman had, had the Nine of Cups. So it's as if the cups rise from being physical cups on the table to this rainbow uh, display of cups. I thought that was sort of pretty. Um mm-hmm. I I have something to say about this because I'm a Taurus and I, you know I'm borderline hoarder. I actually am not a a hoarder. I'm an over collector. I guess is what I I would call it because I'm not. To me, I had a friend who was a hoarder and like she collected um, yogurt cartons, used yogurt cartons that she washed out and then stacked. And when she finally she was renting a couple of rooms in my house before I got together with Shiva, when she moved out, like she had. 21 cartons of yogurt containers. You know, that's that's hoarding, I guess. Um, sometimes people hoard because they like something, and sometimes they do it to prepare against some kind of future catastrophe or future fear of um, hunger or loss. Or because, in her case, she thought it was the good ecological to do. Someday she was going to reuse them all, but she never did, of course. So... Um, Hoarding has many roots, and I'm sure you're an intelligent person and have thought about this. One of the things that I recommend doing, and this is practical before I get to the magical, is to buy and purchase as many expensive and beautiful cupboards, bookcases, and um, containers, and none of them cardboard, all of them good, because if something is worth keeping, it's worth keeping in a beautiful container. Um, that will give him something to do as he weeds through them. He'll go, you know, this doesn't really belong in that beautiful, you know, prairie-style cherry bookcase. And he may get rid of things that, <laughs> that don't fit in his worldview. So that's just one thing. In other words, devote money and time to the display as well as the collection. If what he's collecting is literally garbage, you know, old newspapers and things like that, 
um, then you really have a, a, a mental illness situation that you're going to have to deal with, and I do think you can find a doctor that will help. All right. Now, having said all of that, I would like to have you create a map of how you want the house to look, a little bird's-eye view of what you want the rooms to be. Will there be bookcases here? Will there be couches here? Make pictures in um, every one of these little drawings, and uh, you can do these with his collaboration if he will. In every one of these little drawings, I want you to put a small candle. So this thing can be big enough, this drawing can be big enough to, um, it doesn't have to be perfect, by the way, just draw what you can, can, doors, windows, and so forth. You're going to put a little um, candle and a candle stand in every one of these rooms. And you're going to start by anointing these with peaceful home and clarity. And you could also use money house blessing if he's spending a lot of money on the things that he's hoarding. But if you don't need to, you don't need that. And you're going to dress the candle, and you're going to start in one room. And you light that candle, and then um, while that candle burns, you're going to go into that room with him, and you're going to start working about on, we're going to get a bookcase here, we're going to get this and that here, but the bookcase only has so much room on it, and we're going to leave room on the floor to walk, you know. And when that candle has burned on your little map, um, you'll be well on the way to cleaning that room. When you've cleaned that room, you're going to spray it and clean it, actually physically wash the room to the floors, the walls, all the way to the edge, and use Chinese wash and peaceful home or peace water and Chinese wash mixed together. There's many ways you can do this. Um, and and clarity would be good, too. And do a physical cleaning of the house with these uncrossing spiritual supplies. And pray for clarity. Uh, you can also use a little bit of um, clarity and peaceful home in the bath uh, water if you want to. And Chinese wash can be used even as a dishwashing liquid. It can be used in the bath. It's very useful. And it it's used to get rid of grime and dirt in a physical sense, but it also gets rid of grime and dirt magically. If you want to work on his mind, on his head, as Conjurman said, you will want a skull candle. And you can anoint that skull candle with clarity oil. Don't be poking holes in it. We're not doing any kind of aggressive work. Um, but you can um, anoint that with clarity oil and place your petition underneath it. You can um, load the candle from below by carving out a little divot and putting your petition, you know, so-and-so, my dearly beloved husband, uh, may your may your um, mind be clear of all desire to hoard. May your eyes clearly see the beauty of our house when everything has its own place. And um, may cleanliness um, and godliness, you know, be our lot in this home. And then um, you can burn that candle, that skull candle. You can use a little one. You don't need to use a life-size human skull candle. They do make them. You don't even need to use a baby-size or half-size skull candle. Even a small one will do. And I would do that for um, uh, getting him to be clear in his mind. But what I really like is the idea of lighting a little candle on your map. Today we're doing the kitchen. You like that little kitchen thing and you say then you go into the kitchen. If you want to when you are finished cleaning the kitchen, you can light a little candle in the kitchen as well. But there's no need to really if you're going to clean it all the way with Chinese wash and all of these clarification things.
All right. Um, so, uh, does anybody have anything else? To... Oh, there's our music. Very softly coming in. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I talked too long. But I hope that's good advice. I hope you follow it. And do get another doctor. There it comes. Da, da, da. All right. Um, we're going to have our scheduled network announcement followed by our free spell. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30. The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix LeFay, Fridays, 1 to 2. And Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 7 to 8. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. Now it's time for our free spell segment from our special guest, Doc Murphy of the Sybilskitchen.com and the Twin Cities of Minnesota in Paganistan. Take it away, Doc Murphy. Thank you so much, Clifford. Okay, this free spell is a little kind of northern climate trick that we use up here. Um, when your house is buttoned up for the winter and the cold and the storm windows are down, sometimes we, it's, it's a little tough to burn incense when you need to because the place really can't get aired out. It gets kind of smoky, and it can make the place grimy on the inside. Um, so this is a little trick that we do up here in the north. It's called a simmer pot, and the purpose of this um, – uh, spell is, you know, sometimes you, you just you feel magically depleted, you feel energetically depleted, sometimes the weather does it to you, sometimes circumstances. This is to fill up the room um, with some spiritual inspiration and to, and to get your psychic uh, muscles kind of flexing again. So for this spell, you will need a pot full of water, either a muslin tea bag or some cheesecloth that you can tie up, a paper for the prayer paper and a pen, some anise pods, frankincense, cinnamon, hyssop, lemon slices, orange slices, and pine needles. And if, as a little optional thing, if you have some around, I like to throw in a couple of drops of Mrs. Stewart's laundry bluing. It works the same way as like the Reckitt's blue squares. It comes in a bottle up here in the north, and you can just dribble it in the water and turns it that beautiful spiritual blue. So here you go. On the paper, you write the verse, the Bible verse, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And you'll fold that prayer paper up and you'll put it in the bag or in the cheesecloth with all of the herbs. You'll place it in the water. And then you'll take the pot full of water and the herbs and either place it on the radiator, which a lot of us do up here in, in the winter in the north, or on the stove to simmer. And as the water warms up, what it'll do is it'll release the fragrance and it'll release all those wonderful signatures and spirits and energies of all those cleansing and invigorating, spiritual invigorating herbs so that you can kind of get right again um, in your environment to start feeling spiritual and magical again. So it's simple, it's kitcheny, and there you go. It's lovely. 
it's a very lovely um, way of working. Um, I I can smell it already. <laughs> it's what you got to do. Mm, it's a uh, yeah, really, really good combination there. That's adorable. Um, it's interesting to use First Corinthians fourteen one. That's um, uh, uh, not a verse that I'm usually familiar with, and I thank you for bringing that to us. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. That's wonderful. What a great spell. Um, thank you so much. I cannot add a thing to it other than I did <laughs> note that by anise pods, you meant star anise pods because it's not anise seeds. Those are a different species. Mm-hmm. And uh, anise seeds are in the celery and dill family, and anise pods are actually in the magnolia family. They smell very similar. Mm-hmm. But anise pods, um, the whole pod is fragrant. They're really lovely, and they look pretty mm-hmm. in a potpourri. I love the use of the simmer pot here because there's uh, it's such a great alternative to say incense, which if you burn smells great, but smells like smoke. You know somebody's been burning incense. You really have smells like incense. Um, but if you, if you, this is a really great way of working. If, for example, you don't want to work with smoke, um, but also it, it can be really useful for sneaky tricks. Uh, selling a house, you can use a simmer pot that that draws money and draws sellers. Uh, you can use them a pot for a love and attraction if you're having a date over. So there's a, the possibilities here are endless with the customization here. Yeah, and yeah. a simmer pot, like you said, up, up here is is a is a trick. And sometimes people can find those like potpourri warmers. I don't know some some people like to use those. Those work too. Um, but again, you know, when you're, you know, we seal up our homes this time of year um, with two layers of windows, and if it's leaky, sometimes plastic, and just having to burn incense <laughs> when, that, when that's your situation can can uh, be a little bit uh, too much, or can leave a grimy mess that you have to scrub out in the spring. So sometimes this is just a little bit more. Um, uh, breathable, a little bit more fragrance. It's a nice a change of pace. And then when the windows are open in the summer, you can bust out the incense again. So. Mr. Christopher adds in the chat that he would add a little vanilla. And I presume he would use real vanilla beans since everything else in here is the actual plant material, not uh, essential oils. That's a good mm-hmm. one, too. Yeah. Sounds wonderful. Well, if we have a minute, I have to get back to Cliff Lowe. So, Cliff, after you've named all of these cowries for the various women and have dressed each one with its name, with your sexual fluids, you're going to put them in a bowl that is kind of like maybe a cowrie-shaped bowl, a sort of a leaf-shaped bowl. And uh, now you're going to pray over them all. And as any woman is eliminated from your prospective um, purview, that woman's cowrie just gets taken out and you can bury it or cast it to the winds or float it down the river. And you should be able to go from, you know, 20 so cowries down a good one or two very shortly. And you'll you'll be able to then focus in on those particular cowries. But I know if you like to go from cowrie to cowrie, you can keep them all in the bowl. Okay, that was that was for, for Clifford and I hope he enjoyed it. May, may I point out, I bought them for clients, not all for myself. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to start a big old harem in teen <laughs> No. I just, I don't know. I just saw, you know, Clifford Lowe and his dancing girls. 
I'm not that ambitious or greedy. <laughs> well, you have enough to to give to a lot of people, and a lot of people love you, Clifford. So, all right. Well, there's our music. So, um, gee whiz, I uh, guess I turn this over to Clifford, and he's going to give the announcements, and I'll come back and make a few more additions when we go. Take it away, Clifford. Thank you, Miss Cat and Conjurman, and thank you, Doc Murphy of thecivilskitchen.com and the Twin Cities of Minnesota and Afghanistan for being our guest this week. We invite you to join us next week uh, when our special guest will be another fine guest. Once again, we've come to the end of another Lucky Mojo who, who work for Tower, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. You can find this cat via the Lucky Mojo form at form.luckymojo.com and conjuremanconsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California. I'm your announcer, Clifford Lowe, joining you from clifflow.com. The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Work Hour can be heard every week live on Blog Talk Radio at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and the shows are available and archived via luckymojo.com slash radioshow.html. For all of us at Lucky Mojo, I'd like to thank you for being here and invite you to tune in again once, once again next week at this same time when you will hear the familiar strains of the Memphis Jug Band playing the Jug Band Waltz. Thank you, everybody, and goodbye. Thank you, Clifford. I want to give a shout-out to some of the folks in the chat. Buffalo Weaver, uh, of course, Cliff and Doc, Dr. Sweets, Eva Tiley, I think it may be pronounced, um, Happy Smiles, I, Patricia, Mr. Christopher. Thank you so much, Mr. Christopher. And folks, if you don't know him, he's a good moderator at the Lucky Mojo Forum, and you can check him out there. Onyx Rose and Tony I, my special favorite secret mystery friend. And um, <laughs> and next, <laughs> next um, Tuesday... In a couple of days, we're going to be announcing and directing you to the return of Miss Bree. This is going to be a right. really something special. And I know that, that you know, the uh, social media lives in the eternal now. It's like Groundhog Day. It just keeps on happening over and over and over every day. The same. But this is an actual big change. And for those of you who never had the fun and pleasure of hanging out with Miss Bree, you're going to be mind blown because this is one smart cookie and um, she is going to help you she's a wonderful wonderful reader and root worker that's what i have to say about that all right night good Good night bye bye Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.